welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review kindly. This show is a series of conversations with educators and learners to try and deconstruct some of the stereotypes around education. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my Instagram page at EducatingLaura. Hello, and thank you so much for being with me today. I have a two-parter. So this is the first episode with Meg Thompson, a behavior consultant. And on Monday, I will release the second part of that episode because once we got to talking, we unraveled and uncovered a whole heap of different things, which was just amazing. And she was actually recommended by another page on Instagram. She's a US behavior consultant. And her main message is to move away from the fear-based strategies to control and to absorb all the power in the room as an educator and try to teach with kindness, to empower our students and to encourage them to understand the way that they learn and how to show up for them as adults and to avoid trauma in schools and to avoid awkward situations, anxiety and stress-inducing discipline strategies ultimately and there's a lot in this episode in fact I actually asked her about a strategy for my two-year-old who was really struggling with daycare drop-offs and within a week he is happily running into daycare so she certainly knows what she's talking about and has had a lot of experience in behavior as a kindergarten teacher and now with her master's in early childhood education and behavior. So before I hand it over to Meg I would like to do my small business shout out and this one's a really exciting one because I actually purchased this planner from each day and I'd like to read a little bit from their website which says each day was founded by a husband and wife team Grant and Samantha and their close friend Ian who combined their skills as graphic designer primary school teacher and business guru to achieve one goal to design a simple and functional planner to meet the everyday needs of teachers and students Samantha was frustrated with the teacher planners and student diaries on the market. They were cluttered and difficult to use. Grant saw the potential for a well-designed, stylish solution. Ian had drive to make this happen and so each day was born. And I can attest to the fact that I have had several planners over the years often given to me by my school and they are really cluttered. They're very cumbersome. There's a lot of pages that I would never use. In fact, large chunks of the diary and planner that I would never even turn to. And so I really loved this diary. It's really streamlined. It is user-friendly. The way that the pages are set up are clear and have a lot of space for planning and documenting, even some parent-teacher interview pages and student pages to document, you know, ideas about reporting and perhaps follow-ups and things like that. So it's really, really well thought out. And so I'd like to give a shout out to them. But as I said, I did purchase it and I said to them that I would like to make mention of them because as a Melbourne business and a teacher, it was like the perfect fit. And they offered to gift me a planner, which I declined. And instead, I asked for them to gift you guys a planner. So if you're listening to the podcast now, there is a giveaway and I'll put the post in the show notes for you from my Instagram so you can go into that but ultimately what you need to do is you follow me at Educating Laura and you follow Samantha and Grant at each day and you need to give the podcast five stars 
send me a picture in my DMs and comment on the Instagram post. And once you've done all of those three things, you are in for the giveaway and it will be drawn on the 1st of December. So I just love making these connections and it's so lovely to see how generous people are. I will now hand it over to Meg Thompson from Meg Thompson Behaviour. Hi Meg, how are you? I'm great, how are you? Good, thank you. I thought that we'd start at the beginning and I'd like to ask you, what did school look like for you as a student? Okay, so this is where I get a lot of criticism actually because Mm. I was not a challenging child. I did not have any sort of special needs or learning disabilities and I loved school. So people like, what? I don't understand how you work with kids that have all the things you didn't have and how you understand them. So I did have a brother that had a harder time. Everybody thought I was the older sister, but he's three years older than me. But he had a hard time academically. He had a hard time socially. So I saw that piece. But I also, whether, I always tell people whether I was did well in school or not well in school or liked it or didn't like it. I still had, I was born and um, nurtured into kindness, empathy, and love and compassion. Mm. So that's the part I bring with me. And then I just keep an open Mm. mind to these kids who are having a hard time, right? I I work with a lot of kids that like recently have a hard time in math. I get a lot of kids that hate math. And I was like, you know what? I did Mm. too. And and you know what I realized is that, okay, geometry so stinks and I hate it. So I'm not going to be a geometry teacher. Right, I got to get out of geometry yeah. and I have to get, what do you need, a D to get out? Great. Need a C to get out? You can't be good at everything. So I was no. actually good at the relationship social piece of school. I wasn't good at the math piece. How did I get out? I cheated. But you're not going to say that. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> at 42, I would still be in geometry because I still wouldn't have passed. Because it's hard. Yeah. So I don't tell them that I cheated. Yeah. I just tell you that. To be honest with you, I remember doing chemistry at university oh. and I hated it. Yes. Not at all wired that way, but I cheated on that one well, I ended up doing really well, but it's because I think the tutor knew that we all struggled and we all had to do it as a prerequisite. So the practice exam was pretty much the actual exam. So we all just memorized it and, and got through and did well. Did we learn anything? Absolutely not. Did we get no. out? Yes. But it was not a learning exercise. It was a memorizing exercise. Yes. And in chemistry, to me, how often did you work with that periodic table, right? First of all, I've learned alphabetical order my whole life. And now you're going to do it by atomic number? What? Yeah. That's stupid. And I know like (laughs) hydrogen and helium, one of those is first. And I know nothing else. And I did a whole year of the periodic table. Mm -hmm. I don't know who made it. I don't, I think uranium's on it. I don't, I don't know. Again, I memorized. Yeah because I'm good socially, there's a kid who liked me mm. and asked me, like, sweat through his shirt, like, asked me to be his lab partner. And I was like, yes, you're the smartest kid in class. I will so be your lab partner. <laughs> and I sat really close to him, and I, like, rubbed his back and held his hand and so I could see. <laughs> well, that's terrible, but I, I wouldn't have gotten out. I wouldn't have. And people are like, that's awful. And are you telling kids that you cheated? No, I don't. I tell adults I did because I think everybody had to find a way to get out of things that we struggle with. I just did it with my social skills. Some people do it other ways. But I mean, some people use humour to get out of awkward situations. I mean, we all use, we all create a repertoire over time. Yes. And so I try to teach kids a good repertoire. Mm -hmm. But 
I, I remember one time in a, in a workshop, I said, how many people have like cheated to get out because you're so stuck and you've had such a hard time and you see, and I see those kids now. And there are some people that didn't raise their hand and I was like, you're lying. <laughs> you, could, you could have not cheated the whole time you were in school. Mm. It's set up that way. It's set up to be competitive. Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. And, but that's what I mean. I think because sometimes it's also set up to get good grades as a marketing element, it serves the teacher too. It serves the teacher too to be able to show good results. And so how's the best way to do that? Is it to teach them well or is it to give them the test in unsuspicious way or less suspicious way? Right. Or like you get a note card and you can put as much, do you remember? I did that. I had a note card and you had to like write and teeny and of course everything on the note card was never on the test i don't i don't know what happened so although school wasn't hard for me i still had struggles like everybody else i just didn't fit in i didn't have enough struggles to fit into the special needs iep 504 plan sort of kid what was your goal then as a student like what were you were you academic were you more on the social side what what was the whole point for you at the end of schooling what did you want to do no my point was social yeah (laughs) I yep. wanted to go and be friends and have friends. And now that I know the research, 85% of your success is in people skills. 15% of your success is if you can read it in technical skills, right? So I have really? uh, some adults that say, hey, um, I have a three-year-old that can read. And my immediate thought is he's got a good 15%. He probably doesn't have a strong 85%. So I got through school because my 85% has always been really strong. And then... I have never heard that before. Yeah. So 85, right? Because if I was going to work for you, Laura, and I would give you my resume, right? And you would check it to make sure I had, I don't know, a degree in college probably and a degree in the right thing. And then that's probably where that resume would end. Then you're hoping that I can get along with people, that I can be compassionate, that I can lead people, that I write all of those things are people skills. So my 85% was really good and I used it to my advantage. I was on the National Honor Society. So I was, uh, I'm putting in quotation marks, smart because I knew how to memorize the information. Yeah. I didn't, right? Like, okay, just have to stuff all this in my head, then plonk it out on this paper and then leave. Hmm. I could tell you like three things from chemistry maybe and three things from geometry and I was good good at algebra enough to get out of it without cheating, mm-hmm. actually. But, yeah. yeah, my 85% helped me. Like, when I woke up in the morning, it was like, yes, I get to go to history. I was like, wow, I get to see John and, and Bob and Sophia. Yes. And, right? like, I just, That's what it was about for you. Oh, yeah. But I also knew that I had to make the grades. Yeah. And I had to make the grades in high school and college both because I, I was a track runner. I ran track and played soccer and you can't be on the teams Ah. with bad grades. So, yeah. So you had to get a certain GPA in both high school and college to be able to run and play soccer. And so what was your university or your college course that you got into after high school? So I was a communications major, Mm -hmm. meaning I was supposed to sell radio spots and stuff on a radio and newspaper and all that. And I did that for like, I don't know, maybe a year. And it's very cutthroat and nasty. Yeah. And and all growing up, people said, you're going to make a really good teacher or you're going to be a gym teacher. I'm like, 
I'm not going to be a teacher. So I, so I graduated with a bachelor's in communications yeah. and now I have a master's in early childhood. So not until I was 25, did I know that I was going to work with kids. Yeah. Although I babysat and stuff and I was fun with them, right? My 85% of my people skill part was good, right? I even did the behavior stuff I hate now because I didn't know any better. And that's what I learned in school. And also you learn or you, you'll use the strategies that were modeled to you. Of course. Yeah. And unless you're like, that one doesn't, that one's terrible. I'm going to find another one. But when you're 22, I mean, you have to be really headstrong and really determined to say that doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to go somewhere else. And I did that, but I wasn't 22. I was 34-ish. Yeah. You have to be confident enough in the job before you can be willing and and have the self-esteem to change it. And to be able to speak loud enough. Like I have to speak really loud (laughs) now in the stuff I believe because there's always people that are just will nitpick and nitpick and nitpick or like always the one I always get because I don't believe in any sort of external reward system like tokens or stickers or but don't you get paid for your job I get that all the time that's not the same external reward I'm an adult who chose a job that has the power to leave it that is not the same as a child who is lower on the totem pole and doesn't have the skills to perform how you want them to that's not the same and now i have like okay. a standard response makes me let's go straight to the sticker chat i was going to talk about this later but we're already here oh, yeah. that's question number nine <laughs> Come on. Like number 10 we're going there now meg yeah what yes. why is this this real visceral hatred of these external reward systems for children where does it come from how should we do it better okay So it comes from that we, 98% of the time, a challenging behavior is a lack of skill or an unmet need. Sticker charts don't address any skills or needs because we just give stickers and take away stickers. And there's no teaching piece. The sticker chart doesn't have a teaching piece. Also, all our strategies cannot have the outcome of shame, guilt, or embarrassment. Mm. And I've talked to adults and children that have had sticker charts to those clip down systems done to them. And they can tell me what they were wearing, what teacher they had, what the teacher said, what they ate that day. And they're still carry shame into adulthood. Yeah. Can you explain the clip down system? I'd never heard of it before in Australia. Maybe that's because I'm not in the early years, but can you explain what that actually yes. is? Oh, darn my clip down system that I had somebody else make because I started to make it and I gave myself a headache because it's so yeah awful so it is a system it's set up hold on I'm drawing it I know you guys can't see that over there so it kind of looks like this and, and, no you need and to it looks, and it looks beautiful right it's usually different colors and it's laminated so we're seeing like a long grid type thing yes. yep so the middle says ready to learn okay and everybody's clip starts there and that's usually green because green is good and green is go. And these are orange, yellow, and red, which are bad. Okay, the ones below that. And those are warning, teacher consequence, parent contact. You go up. Then these are good, great, and outstanding. So if you do something that meets the teacher's approval, you go up. And you say, Laura, you can come clip up. So you have to get up in front of everybody and clip up and you feel like a million bucks. But if you talk out of turn, which I think you and I were probably pretty good at that (laughs) in school. I I still talk out of turn. I would get Meg come and clip down. So you would have to clip down. In front of everybody. In front of everybody. And then the part that really gets me is, so now you're on ready to learn. You've gone to warning. 
Now it's teacher consequence. The consequence has to be logical or natural, and logical consequences have to be related, respectful, and reasonable, and they almost aren't ever. Like, if you don't do your work, you don't lose reset. One doesn't have to do with the other. But by the time you get to parent yeah. contact, the hard thing is, is that we're hoping that, and, and I think most of the time, 99.9% of the time, there's unconditional love between children and adults and parents. Now you're bringing the parent, the people who have the unconditional love for this child, and now you're bringing them in. So say mm-hmm. this kid at Ready to Learn had a bad morning. The mom woke up late. They were rushing. They didn't get breakfast. They were in a fight. So she's got clipped down now to parent contact. So either they, the parent was called or emailed. But now the little girl's like, okay, this almost never happens, but okay, now I'm going to do awesome. I, I figured it out. I'm going to try to get clipped back up. You almost never get clipped back up because now down here, you're in the bad kid bubble. You're branded. Yes. And and you have to be a member of the Clean Slate Club as an adult to be able to keep climbing once you're down here. And even if she got up to outstanding at the at the end of the day, do you think the teacher, you can't take back the email or take back the phone call? Yeah. So even though you ended on a, out on outstanding, what does the mom know when you get home? Yes. You had a bad day. Yeah. And, and then they try to, so they have like clothespins with names on them. And then sometimes they're like, oh, well, let's not put names on them because I could see where that's embarrassing. So we do numbers. Do kids know what number? Go clip down. And then, you know, those kids watch which one is he going to pick? He's going to pick a five. Oh, number five. Five's always on parent contact. Yeah. And then you get things like kids going home and playing, like dramatic play and playing school where they have these systems and they'll they see, sound so mean or they say mommy i don't play with any of the red orange and yellow kids i only play with the blue purple and green kids really yeah wow and the kids that end up on parent contact is obviously not working yeah if the same kids on parent contact every day yes yeah so there's no skills being taught and even if there were i had someone yesterday say with sticker charts but i don't know why you keep saying this because i love them and my kids love them i said i'm glad that they weren't emotionally hurtful for you yeah and i'm glad you love them but i guarantee while your kids and you are loving them there is somebody that they are breaking and cracking and cutting down to their knees yeah and that's not okay and that as a teacher you have to look at everybody in the class yes and all strategies have to take care of a child's emotional wellness because in maslow's hierarchy oh wait i have oh this one's drawn terribly but maslow's hierarchy of needs so the physiological needs right of eating sleeping going to the bathroom uh safety Physical and emotional, belongingness and love, and then self-esteem. So these are the four that you get essential to you because you're born a human. So unless you work with robots, you have to pay attention to this, right? Yeah. So emotional safety has to be taken care of. It's number two. And then how do you yes. think those kids that are in parent contact, how do you think they, they, they feel like they belong in their class? Oh, they feel like outcasts. They feel like bad kids. They feel like they're in the bubble and they're branded, as you said. And then how's their self-esteem? Yeah. So the, these kids cycle mm-hmm. through here. And can't get out to what? Need to yeah. know and understand. That's the academic piece we keep teaching. Yeah. So we're stuck down here. You have kids stuck on level two or tier two when they need to be yeah. really in school on tier five. So that's what is wrong with sticker And I'm thinking too, the constant visual reinforcement that they oh. are bad, naughty, need yeah. discipline. Yeah. That's got to get in. That's got to get in. So not only are you being told that, you are seeing it as a visual representation in front of you that you're friends and peers are seeing and then you end up belonging because we all need to belong somewhere 
with the kids that have the similar or, or eclipsed at the same, you know, the red, yellow, orange kids, and then you yeah. you naturally would become like them or or you'd start to take it on because you need to belong somewhere. So, well, I might as well belong with the bad kids. Everyone's telling them the bad they kids. They say that belonging sometimes comes before everything. Sometimes they say that's first because. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah, kids will do really awful, amazing, exciting, wonderful, tragic things to belong. And in my yeah. workshops, I, I, um, so a lot of people ask about this clip system and I'm like, and I always have one, right? I do have one, but mine's downstairs and I show it and I said, okay, so what if you walked in and I said, okay, please sign in. I'm going to give you your handouts. Please put on your mask. Right. And I have to do that. And yeah. grab a Sharpie and a clothespin and put your name on it. And then I took all of those and I put them on this clip chart. I said, how many people want to belong, want to play out of the thousands of people or that I've asked, I've had about seven say I'll play. And this is how they say it. Oh, I'll play. And I thought, oh, they're going to what? They're going to hijack the workshop, right? They're going to like talk yeah. at a turn just to like make it hard for me. <laughs> I said, you guys are usually the ones stuck at the bottom on parent contact because yes. it doesn't work for you. And there are some kids whose temperament just doesn't react to that stuff. They don't care if their clip gets clipped down. The hard thing is, yeah. is that there's not another way that is, so um, I would say if you have to Pinterest a strategy or TPT it, teachers pay teachers. If you're doing that with a behavior strategy, Pinteresting it, Pinteresting, Pinteresting it, ooh, that's a hard one, or TPTing it, <laughs> it's not a good yes. behavior strategy. If you're making something and laminating something and designing something, it's wrong. But people say, then what do we do? We teach a skill and meet the needs and use time and patience. That's the other thing that takes time and effort and but teachers like to make things and laminate things. <laughs> but it's also not a one size fits all. I think that's the other thing too. I think when you have a strategy that is universal in the classroom, it takes the guesswork out of it. But the thing is, is that no student is the same, no home life is the same, no need is the same. And so you really need to understand that your strategy has to be individual mm -hmm. to meet the individual need rather than having a, a universal. And I'm only saying this because I understand that. Have I done that always in teaching? Absolutely no, not. No, me either. I did all these things. Because it's easier. When I first started teaching, so I didn't, I, right, because remember when I first started teaching, I was, I had a bachelor's in communications. Mm -hmm. I got hired for my people skills. I actually had someone say that exact thing, Laura, about it, uh, one size fits all, but they were on the other side of, that's why we use them. Because one size doesn't fit all and mm -hmm. some kids like them. True. But if the strategy also ends with shame, guilt, and embarrassment on other kids, people are like, what? I don't understand what you mean by shame, guilt, and embarrassment. I'm like, I don't know if you know Brene Brown, but Brene Brown is famous and popular yeah. and wonderful and awesome. And if you listen to any of her stuff on vulnerability, right? She's a shame researcher. You're yeah. just like, you would never yeah. do those things. You're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's so terrible. And I had a, a teacher yesterday, no, yesterday, the day before, that said, Oh, I use clip systems and I know, oh my gosh, I use clip systems. She was very um, like edgy, which I appreciated, but sassy as well. And she said, and you know what? I put myself <laughs> on the clip system and up oh, looks like I'm on yellow. And I was like, huh? And I said to her, who, who decides if you're on yellow, who clips your clip? She goes, yes. me. I said, who clips the kids clips? She goes, me. There's the problem. Yeah, correct. Right. I also had another little girl. Uh, the mom said, oh, I think my little girl's going to be just like you. I was like, well, you must be very excited about that. 
because <laughs> her friend got clipped down and then her friend started crying and the little girl didn't know how to help her. So she went to the clip and clipped her back up. Oh. I thought, good for you. But then, right, you have to have the appropriate conversation of, although I don't believe in that, we don't touch that, that's not for children. Although I also don't believe in that, right? There has to be like some sort of, there yes. is rules, there isn't rules. But she didn't know what to do and she was kind and compassionate and wanted to help her friend. And so she just went and clipped, <laughs> tried to sneak it. But like me, can you see I'm not very sneaky or like inconspicuous? I'm not very, I'm not that either. She yeah. did it like kind of out in the open and she got in trouble in a call from the teacher. And I was like, oh, oh. yeah, she got the, the teacher called home because she was mad at the little girl. She didn't see any of the ki- kindness and compassion in there, unfortunately. You mentioned something before about that the, the consequence has to have like a connection to the issue. Yeah, related, respectful, and reasonable. Okay, yeah. so and the example that you used is, is if someone's talking or talking out of turn that you would take their time away. And I think that that's a pretty standard thing that a lot of teachers do. Yeah. So I'd love to mm-hmm. know what would you suggest is a better way of handling something like that, somebody speaking out of turn, what, what's a better way of handling it? Okay, so speaking out of turn. <clears throat> this is wish, what I wish someone did to me because I speak out of turn all the time. I did in school. I got in trouble for it. I got time taken away. So if we believe that 98% of the time, challenging behavior is a lack of skill or an unmet need, Mm. what's my lack of skill? What's my unmet need? So my lack of skill is I don't know when to talk and when not to talk. That's the skill we're teaching. And my need is that I am an external thinker. So for me to understand the information you're telling me, I need to say it out loud. I am listen to talk, not listen to listen in learning styles and modalities. So when I hear it, I now need to turn to somebody and say it out loud. Yeah. And, and talk about it. Otherwise, it doesn't stick in my brain. Yeah. And as an adult, I can also write it because I've given myself that strategy as well because it's listen to write, but it's outside my brain. I can't just keep it in there and have it swirl around. Yeah. So my son's an external thinker and he goes, mommy, I know I'm not supposed to say it, but if I don't say it, it swirls in my brain and then I can't concentrate on anything else. And I was like, that's genius. So what do we do? We're not taking it away. You come up to me and say, Meg, you know what? I know you need to say things out loud. It's not time right now. We have 10 more minutes to learn. And then it's snack time. Say in elementary school, right? It's snack time. So I'm going to sit with you at snack time. And we're going to talk about what I just talked. Because I, I know you need that. End. That's the end. Right? And now I'm like, oh, she gets me. Right? There's that relationship piece that happened. Mm-hmm. I always try with kids to figure out something that they're doing that has happened to me or that I can relate to. Because otherwise the kids just think like, oh, this only happens to me. I'm not, I'm imperfect. I make too many mistakes. So it's not even a thing of taking it, like giving somebody something or, or, right? You get a sticker if you don't talk out of turn. Okay, I might not be able to talk out of turn, but I just said I was an external thinker. So now I'm not talking out of turn. So I get my stickers. What did I learn? I did not learn to the best of my ability. Yeah. So a good teacher would make sure that those external thinkers can talk Mm. and do things. And it's about 40% of your classroom are external thinkers. Yeah. So we don't want to miss that 40%. That's really interesting. It's not another strategy. It's always teach a skill and meet a need. And then you have to figure out the skills and needs. But teachers like, we don't have time for that. You do proactively, reactively. I promise you spending time on it. But the teachers are trying not to spend time reactively either. That's why they make up these systems. So they don't have to do it proactively or reactively. It's just in this moment and then it's done. I don't have to deal with it. 
but there are kids that will bust out of that box. I'm one. From my, from my experience as a teacher, we spend 80 to 90% of our time on the curriculum, ensuring that we have all the resources yeah. done, make sure that we know it, that we're marking, we're doing, we're doing all of the grunt work to get the curriculum out mm-hmm. and churning that it doesn't leave a lot of time to just get to know the class because especially at high school there are, there are mm-hmm. certain things that have to be done tests and, and things like that in order to meet all the reporting and all of that kind of stuff yeah what's your thought on how much curriculum is actually necessary in order to create good learning and lifelong learning but also allow us to connect and have that time to connect with our students so we need to especially at the beginning of the year and this is probably going to be the hardest year. I wish that someone had done, was doing research before how important those first, I think they do. I have a book that says the first six weeks of school, but now it's going to look different, right? Virtually that first six weeks of school, but that's when you really need to, right? Do the, the, my Maslow's hierarchy of needs, these things. If you're, if you just in high school, eating, sleeping, going to the bathroom, they're like, we got it. They got it. So they skip safety, belonging, and self-esteem and go right to here. Now we got to do tests. Now we got to make sure that we get the appropriate marks so we can get money for the school, all that stuff. Except there are some kids still stuck here because the one we don't talk about is sex. So that's also your physiological need. So we have eating, sleeping, going to the bathroom. Okay. I'm, I'm like, which one are you pointing to? I can't see which one you're pointing oh. to. So physiology. So, okay. So physiology. So we're not, we're not dealing with that at high school. That's what you think? No, no. We are dealing with it at high school. But, but schools oh, think... They've got, they've got the, like, eat, sleep. They're, they're independent. We can just now teach them. Yeah. And now there are kids walking around with new hormones and their bodies changing and they're like, hi, yeah. <laughs> wow. And I have, <laughs> right, and, and also here, I think, and, and it goes up to safety, belonging, and self-esteem is, right, I had a, a what is she, 15 maybe? Well, it's a, it, it's a she now. It was a he and it was a, it's so, it was born a girl. She was born a girl changed her name and, mm. and identified as a boy, used he, him, his, now mm. identifies as a girl and uses she, her, hers, and changed her name again. Mm. So you think she's ready for this? Yeah, for the need to know. Do you think she's ready for need to know and understand? Yeah. And, and schools are silly to think that we're just going to go there, especially now because that's my my greatest fear, is that we've been out of out of school since March, and we did all this virtual stuff, and now everybody's worried that the marks aren't going to be good, that the federal government's not going to give you money, that all that stuff's going to happen. And they're going to start cramming kids with all this curriculum. And what they really need right now is social emotional growth. And now it's being pushed down to little kids. So we're not even doing as much social emotional growth with little kids as we should be. It's all about how early can we get them to read? Well, great. Now we have weird reading kids because they don't know how to like make (laughs) friends and play and hang out with each other. Right. So I've seen that. I, I've seen that change, right? I taught kindergarten for 10 years and I was all about social emotional mm. growth. My co-teacher did a lot mm. of the academic stuff. I was like playing a dramatic play and helping kids make friends. And But we forget about that yes. stuff. So we have to spend, would you say 80 to 90, would you say 90% of the time we do on curriculum, you think? In my experience, yeah, that's in my experience it's very heavily curriculum-based, very. Yeah. And I naturally, I I love relationships. I naturally like to connect with people. That is something that I, as a human being, like to do, and it's a natural thing for me to do. But I don't get the opportunity to do it as much as I would like to. Right. And 
I think that the the way that behavior is set up with clip systems and sticker charts is that we are working really hard at relationships as much as we can, even if it's that 10% of the time. And then we pick behavior strategies that undo the relationship we've worked so hard to do. If you're the one to tell a kid to clip down, but that kid's my favorite, well, then you wouldn't tell him to clip down. You wouldn't use that Mm. strategy. They don't go together. Mm. You missed the mark. But I think in schools, teachers learn that. They have just like, I always say, just like doctors have one or two classes of bedside (laughs) manner and the rest is doctor stuff. I think teachers have all curriculum stuff and one or two classes of behavior and we need more than one class or at least the two classes make them so... I teach them, I guess. (laughs) But I think that if I consider what I've been taught and what I've been modelled, all of the behaviour strategies is about control. It's about discipline. It's about allowing yourself to be or to have the greatest power in the room. It is not about kindness. It is not about compassion. And those are the things that I've developed naturally because it feels better for me but it's certainly nothing that's been taught to me. Right. So when adults don't know what to do and they feel like they're at a loss, they dig their heels in and take all the power. Yeah. If you have all the power in a classroom and you are not sharing any and your outcome is emotional scars and not self-acceptance, then you are a warden. You are not a teacher. So then you are just a bigger adult in charge of smaller humans in a room. That's what a prison looks like. That's not what a, right? That's not what a classroom yeah. looks like. Kids have to have a say. Kids should only follow through on an adult directive 90% of the time. Okay. Never 100%. You should never follow through 100% because, uh, because that means that 10%, that's where all the abuses fit in. That's where the 10% is like, I don't have a voice to say, but I have to go to the bathroom mm-hmm. right now or I have to leave to clear my head. No, it's not time to leave right now. Well, then you're going to see it on the flip side, yes. right? So kids need that 10%. Yeah. And those systems don't give to 10%. Yeah, it's not. And that's really interesting no. that you say that too, because as you say, like somebody needs an opportunity to leave the room, for example, so they're starting to really get anxious and, and aggravated. The process in which they've got to go through in order to leave the room can often create such anxiety that they just don't even bother. They've got to raise their hand, which could be confronting. Then they have to come to the front of the room, which means everyone's looking at them. They need their diary signed. If they don't have a diary, well, they can't leave. Like there's all of these things built in with no clear exit strategy if it is a real situation that they have to leave. Right. Or I just need a break. It's okay if you just need to clear your head. And water is the most calming. So sometimes I'm like, just say you have to go to the bathroom. And cup some water in your hand, drink it, or find a bubbler. I don't know if that's what they call them in Australia. Uh, water fountains. We call them yeah. bubblers here. Um, yeah, we got it. Or, and splash your face or something. Yeah. Turn on the water and put your hands in it. Like, it's okay to go to the bathroom. But what happens if you go and you go to the bathroom in a class period of 45 minutes to an hour and a half? And then you have to take a break and you say you have to go to the bathroom again. I don't know many yeah. teachers that will let you go twice. You just no. went to the bathroom. Well, mm-hmm. sometimes I have to go twice. And then you don't want to explain your bathroom situation. Yeah. Right? I mean, nobody wants Although to. Although I have had students I mean, explain, I mean, explain it. And then teachers let you go. If you explain it, teachers That's let you it. go. I have. I have had a student <laughs> tell me that they have a constipation issue when I said, glad I know you I, You will always be allowed to go to the toilet. No, you, you can always. 
And if there's a kid, right, and then teachers will say, and I'm sure people listening will say, but what if they take advantage of it? Again, it's not a clip thing. It's not a sticker thing. It's like, but there's something going on. If you keep going to the bathroom, either the curriculum is hard or maybe it's not hard enough, or I'm not teaching the way you learn. Something's going to happen. We need to work together. I'd love, especially in high school, I'd love for you to write down three things I could do differently that would make you stay in the classroom more because I really like when you're here. Yeah. I love that. Right. And then what if the kid says, well, I don't want to write it down. You know what? I'm going to write it down. Mm -hmm. I'm going to write down three things I think I could change. And I'm going to leave it right here on my desk. I'm going to leave it here until the end of the year. Whenever you want to get it, that's fine. Mm -hmm. If he never gets it, okay. Then that strategy didn't work. Yeah. Was Shane built an embarrassment and outcome? No. Right. And you're like, okay, that didn't work. He never took it. Right. We're on week five. He never took my paper. (laughs) He's still going to the bathroom. We're going to have to find a new way. Yeah. So then what happens? Then you find a new way and talk to him again and treat him like a human. Yes. Right. In high school, they don't like clip down. There's no clips in high no. school or stickers. No. Because those are for little kids. But yeah. there's in-school suspensions and expulsion and suspensions at home, which high school kids think are a party. If you're mm-hmm. 17 and you get and you get suspended for three days, your parents are still going to work and you're now home eating bonbons, watching movies or yeah. playing video games. Yeah. Yeah, we've also used our lowest day off. As punishment. <laughs> and I don't know what kid would yeah. see it as a day off. I think a lot of adults are like, wait, can I be yes. suspended? <laughs> can yes. you suspend me? You know what you've said to me, though, that's really resonating is the physiological, as you say, the fact that we believe that, that physiological need is met because they are moving into adulthood. They can do all of the things for themselves. Mm. But the raging hormones, I have never felt so insecure as I did as a teenager, because oh, the right? whole thing is about who am I? How do I fit in this world? What do I want to do? And there's so much pressure at a time that- Why is my body doing this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah your body's changing. You also don't really know who you are. There's so no. much going on and it's crazy. It's crazy because we just we, we do think that they're kind of where they've done those things, but they haven't. In fact, they've got- well, they've, almost- they've done the physiological needs as an infant and a toddler and a preschooler. Yeah, But now they have physiological needs as a teenager, right? A lot of times we think of, right, I got a call from a mom the other day of a 15-year-old. And she said, he's having a hard time reading still at 15 and he should know by now. Oh, Why? Because he's 15? She said, yeah. Just because he's 15 doesn't mean he knows how to read. You have to teach him the way he learns. And it's Mm -hmm. been that he hasn't been taught the way he could learn. And he has learning differences. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, so he's probably not going to be an author and an editor or an editor or a researcher yeah. maybe, but what does he want to do? And I think he wants to work for Tesla cars. And I was like, all right. Yeah. But just because they're at the age of adulthood, they should know yeah. these things. But if they haven't been taught appropriately, they don't, you just don't get to be 15 and it just goes, boop, and that part of your brain yeah. like lights up. It yeah. probably dims because of all the, <laughs> in the yes. My thought was always, you don't know what you don't know. It's as simple as that. You might as well ask a question, even if it seems silly. If you were never explicitly told that, you've never done the research on it, you don't know. I did a, I did a general quiz the other day, you know, as part of lockdown to keep us social. Some of the stuff I had no idea, no idea because I'd never learnt it and I don't do trivia games very often, so it's just not my thing. So, no, right? you know, I don't know everything. Why would I expect someone in my classroom to know everything? Right. 
And kids are really going to only be interested in the stuff they are interested in anyway. Well, I'm like that too. Right. History. (laughs) Everybody is, I think. How many times did I learn history? The Revolutionary War and the Civil War. I couldn't tell you anything. Yes. My my father-in-law could tell you about the battles and everything. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. (laughs) He was like, where's the Panama Canal? I was like, Durr in Panama. And he's like, where's Panama? And I said, down. (laughs) It was mortifying. Yeah. And I was like, did I know where the Panama Canal was once? Yes. Yeah. I now looked it up in Central America. Yes. But I didn't know because I memorized and put it on a paper. Yeah. And then I left it. I've never been to Panama. I've never had to go through the canal to go to work. I never, I never had to do anything with the Panama Canal. So what do I care? Yes. Same with chemistry. Yeah. I work with kids in behavior. I don't need to put things together. I wouldn't even know what elements to put together. I don't even know. I have no idea. You know what? If you didn't have to know, you could find it out because you have enough skill right. to be able to do the right research if you wanted to. You have this. Yeah. All right. You've got a phone. Exactly right. Yeah. I Google it. Exactly right. You Google it. Yeah. And I don't know what this plus this is. Well, that That's also on your phone. Yes. Right. If you're bad at math, don't worry. You have math with you all day. It's just on your phone. Yeah. And that's where all, we all use it. I don't think this, the curriculum and the emphasis is quite caught up with the fact that we always have every single textbook in our pocket at right. every time, at any time. We haven't quite got there yet. eBay used to have a, uh, what was it called? It was like a textbook version of eBay that you could buy the textbooks because everybody's looking for used because they used to be hundreds of dollars. And it like yep. went out of business because nobody gets textbooks yep. anymore. Nobody reads books on a, no. I mean, I do. I don't like the screen ones, but yep. it's all on your phone. You can look it yeah. up and download it. That's right. So why why are we making kids memorize facts that they could just look up in an instant if they ever needed it? It seems so, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Meg, I thought you had a really good answer to that. I don't know. Because it doesn't make any sense. We should teach kids how to look it up and how to be with each other. There are some things you should know just yeah. so you don't look like a dingbat in, in oh, the world, on. right? You don't want to look like a dingbat. I mean, right? Yeah. We want to be a conscious person yeah, in the yeah. world. I think that's important, to be conscious and to yes. understand yes. what you live in. We should that but more. that's not necessarily taught or it's a uh, in at least in a with little kids like in a child care center or preschool that's like a, a theme we're gonna talk about friendship this week what happens next week we're not talking we're not we're not still doing that we should still be doing it or really in isolation yeah. in those kinds of right that's interesting and silly this week we're going to talk about manners so they learn manners from monday to friday and they hope that next monday they're doing manners no, because now you're talking about apples. They're like, oh, manners are done. Okay, now we're talking about apples. Now apples are done. Now we're talking about, I was in one place that did physical safety. They talked about wearing a helmet, bike riding. Well, we don't need to make a theme on that. Oh, it should be emerging curriculum. What are the kids yeah. interested in? Do that. Start with yes. trains. I always say trains, dinosaurs, and princesses. You reckon that's a pretty good catch-all yeah. for everyone? Catch-all Those the three beginning. themes. And then you kind of like figure it out as you get to know the kids better. Yeah. So what is your role now and your your objectives in your role? My name of my role is behavior consult- behavioral consultant. And I go into schools, homes, all schools, preschools, child care centers, parochial schools, private schools, public schools, and help adults help kids. And then sometimes I help the kids. 
Like I am the behavior consultant yeah. in a couple districts where I go in and work one-on-one -on -one with the children. Is this something that is done in the US? Like this is a role that has to be satisfied in all different schools or is this just certain schools that call you in? Kids that I that I work with in districts have the IEP, the Individual Education Program. Okay. And my role is the law. So if I get written into their IEP, it's the law, right? right? So I have to do it. But I also get called in. Yeah. So I do teacher workshops as well. So I try to the stuff we're talking about now, I do workshops on, right? Like when I put this on my page, I will say, if you listen to it and answer questions, you could get some professional development because I want people to learn this stuff and yep. I'm trying to give them all the information so they can stop doing the things that we're doing that are silly. Yes. This is a personal question. Okay, I'm ready. And I brought it up because it affected me as a child, but my son actually had this last night suffering from night terrors oh. and I'd never seen it before. I had it a lot. So I, and it all stemmed from, I watched at five years old, the film Witches by Roald Dahl. If you've ever seen that with Angelica oh. Houston where they peel their faces off and yes. it was the most horrific thing I'd ever seen, not so much because of the witches peeling their faces off, but because of the idea that they could be anybody and you didn't know who they were. Right. So the idea that I could be walking past any adult and they could be this witch. Mm. So that really upset me. It made me feel incredibly unsafe and I had really vivid nightmares for a long time. And last night my son, and I didn't even know that he experienced this, he woke up screaming and shaking but he had his eyes shut yeah. for about 10 minutes. And I was just holding him and cuddling him and he was screaming and it, and it took him about 10 minutes to wake up. Yep. So He's not even two. He'll be two at the end of this month. I'm wondering if you have any strategies or anything you could offer people to support their children going through either night terrors or what we would deem irrational fears mm -hmm. and how we can support them. So the irrational fears thing is, so when I first meet with kids, I always ask them my four questions. What makes you happy, sad, mad, and afraid? Afraid yeah. is the thing that probably causes a lot of night terrors. Kids are, there's mm -hmm. a lot of kids that put up a, I'm not afraid of anything. They put up mm -hmm. that bravado. And I was like, really? I'm 42 and I'm afraid of the dark still. I'm afraid of sharks. Mm -hmm. If a shark was swimming near me, I would have a heart attack and, mm -hmm. and die. It wouldn't be because the shark ate me. I would just be like, because I'm so yeah. scared. Yeah. So then we have to watch. So we have to watch what kids are, are watching. We did that with my son. We were watching, oh, Pirates of the Caribbean. He's eight. And uh, it's the one with the mermaids in it. I don't know if you've seen it. And the mermaids go grotesque. Bonkers. Yes. Yeah. But I didn't know that was going to happen. Yes. Because I thought mermaids were wonderful. So he, not that he woke up with night terrors, but he was like, mommy, I can't go to sleep. I just keep picturing that mermaid, like switching yeah. from beautiful. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. So we have to do a good job of making sure we're watching what they're watching, talking about what they're watching. Mm -hmm. And in a night terror, we don't wake up kids. Mm. We do what you do. You hold them, keep okay. them safe. Sometimes they can thrash. Sometimes they walk, right? Mm. Night terrors are also with walking, which is kind of tricky. Yeah. Um, but we don't wake them up. We we hold them. Okay. And we have to let them talk about it mm. to the point where we might want to poke our eyeballs out. So <laughs> sometimes they don't even understand it happened because yeah. they will have a night terror and go back to sleep. You don't necessarily even have to talk about it after the fact. They don't remember it happened. We yeah. have to watch out what happens before the fact. Yeah. Right. What they're watching. Sometimes kids get more night terrors because they're not 
getting the diet they need. Sometimes it's because they don't get enough sleep. Sometimes it's because their sleep cycles are messed up or because they're growing or right. But we really have to pay attention. And especially now that it's COVID, right? Mm -hmm. We have to pay attention to what they're on. Mm -hmm. Because right when I when it when we switched to virtual, I had to do this. Well, my son was over here on the iPad. And I was like, I don't really know what he's watching. Oh, and you would not be the only one. That would be such a prolific issue right now. Right. Yeah, technology. I answer a lot of technology questions. Holy moly. Mm. And so how do we deal with that then? If you if you cannot supervise all the time, and I've, I have such an issue now with the lack of censorship, I suppose, because when you're using all the subscribe programs like Netflix, Stan, et cetera, you don't know exactly right. if they're clicking on everything. You don't know what exactly they're watching. My son on the iPad does little jigsaw puzzles. He's downloaded three games. I don't know how he did it. I was there the no. whole time. I, you know, I turned my back to make a coffee and I came back. He downloaded a game. I don't know. He's not even two. You know, You're so right. it's, it's he doesn't very know easy. He downloaded it either. <laughs> so it just goes to show yeah. how easy it is for things like that to happen. And so what do we do? Do you have any advice for that? You have to have parent controls. Yeah. So my husband was like, we need parent controls on YouTube. And to the point where now we can't find YouTube on yeah. the iPad because we like yeah. lost it or something. I don't know what happened. But we need parental controls. We really need to exhibit trust for yeah. our kids that I'm going to trust you're going to do what you're supposed to be doing on the iPad. And then, right, you can check cookies. You can check yeah. history. And you have to make sure that when the trust has been broken, that there's a way to earn it back. Like, okay, but but we said you can't go on that. And you are. So now mommy really wants to take it yeah. away. But if you take it away, then is there any learning piece happening? No. So now you have to watch it just with me. So it's only when I have free time now that you yes. can watch it. Because I have to be right next to you. Because right and after a while, when you're with me, if, if we built that trust back up and I can trust you again on your iPad, then we can try it again. But know that I'm always going to look at your cookies and look at your history. Because especially on YouTube, they suggest oh, things yeah. for you. But then you go down yeah. that hole, right? It can happen when you Google stuff. I said this the other day, yesterday I was on a, uh, another podcast and I, I said, if you looked up whitehouse.notwhitehouse.gov, that would bring yeah. you to the White House. If you did whitehouse.com, that is a site you do not want your kids on. Oh, really? I don't know if it is now because I haven't Googled it in a while, but it used to be uh, an adult site. Okay. Yeah. Why would they do that? Clearly there are going to be students that look that up as part That's of it. they do it. <laughs> right but that's why they do it somebody was like "Ooh, let's buy whitehouse.com because we'll get a lot of hits and visitors that's what they're looking for i guess yeah i don't really know i haven't i haven't done a lot of podcasts in the adult community so well that's okay <laughs> in the adult entertainment community yeah, so i really fair. that's fair when you find out though <laughs> that podcast can you please let me know <laughs> what do you know now people when they get out when they stop listening to this are going to go and look it used to be. I don't know now if that's the case, but it used to be because we had kids in school do whitehouse.com and they were like, that's not what we were looking for. <laughs> but so easily that can be, right? And then if you're 14 and you do that and then you're like, wait, what's this? Right? 14. I mean, you know, you're not supposed to look at it, but. It's so I mean, accessible. It's right there. Yeah. And it takes a lot of willpower to turn that off. When you're 14 and you're curious. So what are the more common reasons that someone would engage with you and need your support? 
So recently, the more common reasons are that the parents are now teachers and they're realizing that when they're in charge of teaching the kids, they're hard like the teachers have been saying. Uh -huh. Right, I've been getting emails and calls about my kid, but he doesn't do that at home. But now he does do that at home because uh, I now have to teach him as well as be his parent. Okay. People engage with me to do workshops because I am like this in a workshop. So in education there, I'm sure you know, Laura, there are so boring, some of them. Oh, my God. And you're like, I'm so bored. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Or... I've been in behavior ones, right? I go to some behavior ones just to see what sort of strategies there are to see if I'm on the right page or like, oh, don't do that. Got it. Yeah. And the strategies, I'm like, those, what kids have you seen ever, right? A lot of behavior okay. workshops are done by people who read about behavior, but don't actually hang out with kids all day. Oh, So I taught. And I hang out with kids all day. People that are doing the research are the people yeah. that literally read gather statistics, and write a paper. You know, that's that's some of the biggest issues in education, I think. And I don't ever say a strategy or come up with a strategy and say, it'll work unless I write, I have a notebook just full of strategies. And I'm like, all right, I thought that one might work. And I use it first on children. And I'm like, oh, that, that one worked here. Oh, that one didn't work so bad. The, didn't work so well. But right, there's no shame, guilt, and embarrassment at the end. It's like, oh, darn it. I was like, well, but I tried on that one. Yeah. I guess we got to think of another one. That one didn't work. Silly Meg. Yeah. Right? Silly me. And then some kids tell you what will work. And then some adults still don't do it. That makes me really crazy. I get paid sometimes to go in and ask kids what will work. And then I implement the strategies they tell me will work. And they work. And then I look like a genius. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's like, I can't believe we get paid for that. I was like. Well, if some other adult already did it, I wouldn't, they wouldn't have to, have to call me. And sometimes they call me because the things that they were told to do or the reports that were written for them are not helpful. So I'm working right now. I have a five part video series on my Instagram at Meg Thompson Behavior about a little boy who is two and a half who got diagnosed with autism and the mom got a report and she was like, I don't know what, that, what? First of all, it was in jargon that, like, I barely understood. That's a big issue. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then she's like, then I don't know what to, so I don't, th this doesn't have any strategies. I don't know what to do. Yeah. So I've been in her house five times and made specific strategies for specifically her child. Yeah. So I get that too. Like, I don't, I have this. I don't know what to do with this. I need something different than this. Yeah. So now that you bring up the idea of the ASD spectrum, yeah. are you able to, try and help people understand what it would be like for somebody or how they would see the world if they were on the spectrum. Oh, so they definitely see it differently. And I don't want to assume I know how they see it. I just know that yeah. I am going to, because I think right there, they're neurodivergent wow. thinkers and I am right. Wow. A typical thinker, right? So Yep. I'm not going to assume that I know just like kids with ADHD or kids that have had trauma. I'm not going to assume I understand, but I am going to ask a lot of questions. So that's always my strategy is ask more questions. And I'm going to ask more questions of these parents, right? For this two and a half year old, I'm going to ask more questions of the mom. And I'm going to ask more questions of the kids that could answer the questions when they're older. Yeah. We can try to get kids with on the autism spectrum to be more social, but 
We want them to teach them to be sociable. What do we do when you are looking for social? How do you get in the conversation? How do you maintain it? How do you get out of it? I'll teach you those skills. What part's comfortable for you? How do you want to practice? Do you want to bring a friend in? Do you want to try writing it first? Do you want to try to do video? Do you want to write all these things we have to ask? And I'm not going to pretend I know what's going on in their brain. Just like I hope no one pretends they know what's going on in my brain. Holy moly. Because I have squirrels that live up there that go like this all the time. Right? So um, so I think that the answer, the short answer is ask more questions. Ask them what will help I love that so much. And I actually don't think we hear that enough. No, because we always try to assume we know, especially with, I don't typically agree with the st- stuff that's being done with autistic children. I don't like the uh, ways we are trying to get them to comply and be look like regular kids because we've done that long enough now that those kids are adults. And the adults have yes. said that those programs and processes have created PTSD or have really hurt them. So I think what we need to do is ask more questions and we're not doing a good job of that. What have those, so I haven't had a lot of experience to be honest. And Mm -hmm. I think I've taught three students on the ASD spectrum. One of them had quite early intervention and I had him for science and he loved science. That was his thing. And it was amazing. He did not do anything that he was supposed to do on the curriculum but he did amazing things in science and I loved having him. And he was the first boy who spoke to me about the fact that he had this label, he understood he had this label, but he didn't understand what that meant. So I know I've got this. Yeah. Everyone but he's what, me. 15 or 16, right, if you get him? Oh, he was 7, so he would have been 12. Yeah. And he and they had done a lot of – they'd put in a lot of strategies and he was probably – the most well-equipped, I would say, in that he had a lot of strategies. If he was feeling overwhelmed or whatever, there were a lot of things that he had in place mm-hmm. that we could do and we could work with, which was good for me because I felt like I had, I could support him. Yeah, yeah. Whereas there, there were another other students who came in that were diagnosed in year eight or year nine that had gone through all of primary school and had no strategies and were then becoming violent because that was the only way of dealing with some of those frustrations and as we said the hormonal surges and all of that like it just becomes so much greater for them yeah that's when it became an issue that they were then diagnosed or you know put into contact with somebody who could support them more but he was the first one that spoke to me and made it so clear that he didn't even understand what he was supposed to be doing or how he was different he didn't know right And I think we all kind of are like that, right? Like, I don't know why my brain can't start a task and complete a task. I don't know why it can't do it, but it can't. It starts a task. It does another task. It does another task. It does another task. It completes the first task. It does another task. It completes the second task. It eats a donut, takes a nap. Like, I just can't. Yeah. So the, the first child probably that was on the low end of the autism spectrum was when I got there, he was strapped to a chair. That was illegal. So we stopped that pretty quickly. He was nonverbal, but they talked about him in front of him negatively. And I had to say, just because he can't speak doesn't mean he can't hear. Wow. The para had to engulf him 
because once they unstrapped him from a chair, he used to get up and walk away. And so when she engulfed him, he used to turn around and try to smack her. He felt like a caged bear. And he stayed inside for recess to do all these trials. And when he got the trials right or he did a good job, he got a Cheeto. A Cheeto? A Cheeto. Do you know what a Cheeto is? Yeah, like those cheesy Yes, snacks. that are bright yellow, orange. Yeah. I mean. yeah. Have you ever eaten one and not gotten it all over your face and your hands? No. <laughs> Never. Never. So now they're giving a three-year-old, four-year-old, I think he was four, just turned four, a four-year-old a Cheeto when he did something. But he, that, but they took away that, right, 85% of your successes in social. Well, he already has a hard time with that. That's what kind of yeah. put you on the autism spectrum is that social piece. Yeah. Sometimes, right? So yeah. now you're taking away the social piece when you could have been teaching it. So I said, you know what? There was a little boy in his class who loved everybody. He was a social man, this little guy. He was awesome. He had a lot of physical <laughs> pieces that were hard for him. Like he had a, like a, a throat thing and he, his arm was, something was with his arm. And, but he was, he was going to set the world on fire, this kid. And I said, you know, yeah. what? this little boy, we'll call him Jacob. Jacob wants to hang out with Landon. I don't actually know what the kid's name was. but So Jacob wants to hang out with Landon. So when you go to get Landon off the bus, bring Jacob with you. Yeah. Right? You got teaching piece right here. Jacob's going to talk to him the whole time. When you go outside and play, that's when I found out they didn't go outside and play with uh, Landon. Jacob will play with him. Jacob wants to play with everybody. So Landon was inside on his own, not playing. Is that what you're saying? Uh, with the person doing the trials, yeah. And I got in trouble for saying to bring Jacob to the bus because the person in charge of all these trials thought I was messing it up. And I thought to myself, darn straight, I'm messing it up. Yeah. <laughs> Parents didn't agree. Obviously, the little boy was having a hard time because he was trying to hit and he was trying to yeah. take off. And so the parents didn't bring him to school a lot. He was in preschool special ed, right? And the parents didn't bring him to school a lot because they saw that he was a different kid at home. Mm. And they saw how sad he was at school. Mm. And I couldn't do anything to change it because there was this system that helped and he was going to look like a normal mm. kid. I'm going to leave it there and the second part of this episode will be released on Monday with Meg Thompson. If you liked the episode, please share on social media, give the podcast five stars and comment if you feel inclined to do so. Thank you so much for being here and hope to be in your ears again on Monday. Bye.